Talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talking benefits. You're listening to Talking Benefits, the podcast brought to you by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. Every month, we dive into retirement, healthcare, hot topics and trends, and whatever else the benefits industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Julie Stick. I'm Ann Patterson. Let's talk benefits. Welcome back, Talking Benefits listeners. Pod Squad member Ann Patterson here. As our loyal listeners know, we've been talking throughout the life of this podcast about mental well being. Today, we're talking specifically about caregiving and the impact that it can have on our own lives, as well as the lives of our colleagues and employees. I am really excited to have the chance to talk with our guest today, Dr. Tracy Brower. Tracy is a sociologist studying work life fulfillment and happiness. She's a principal with Steel Cases Applied Research and Consulting Group, and Tracy did a fantastic session at our recent mental health virtual conference and really provided a fresh perspective on caregiving in our current environment. So Tracy, thank you so much for joining me on this Talking Benefits podcast episode. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. And a little background for our listeners. Tracy holds a PhD in sociology and a master's degree of management in organizational culture. She's the author of a couple books that we will link in the show notes, and she's a contributor to Forbes and Fast Company. So Tracy, let's jump right in, get to the good stuff. Traditionally, the term caregiving may have conjured up images of providing care for the elderly or parents, small children. More recently, we recognize that caregiving goes beyond those categories and includes school-aged children who've been studying virtually extended family, neighbors, um, even colleagues who may be struggling. So how has the pandemic impacted caregiving? Oh, you actually said it in your question. It's just expanded it so much. You know, like if we used to have a more limited view or definition of caregiving, it has just become so expansive because we're offering caregiving to so many people So the recipients of caregiving, I think, are a bigger audience. In addition, the people who are providing care are so many more of us, and the types of care are so much more expanded as well. So it's not just that elder care, for example. It's facilitating learning. It's looking in on a neighbor. And I think, too, the kinds of care that we're giving, like we may have thought previously about lots of physical caregiving or logistical caregiving, and now it's so much more about mental health and support and kind of emotional caregiving, if you will, because the pandemic's just been really hard on all of us, if we're honest. Um, And so we've had to really expand who gives care, who receives care, and the kind of care that we're thinking about. Absolutely, Tracy. And do you think any groups have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic in regard to caregiving? Oh, yes. The data is so extraordinary on this point that women have been significantly affected and moms in particular. So we've seen data that a lot of women have stepped back out of their roles. They've reduced their hours. They've left the workforce or they've had to burn the candle at both ends. You know, there was a great quote about, you know, the candle has since run out of ends um, because women have um, been kind of given more and more of those kinds of responsibilities. And so that disproportionate effect has been really significant. And we've actually seen not just the choices that women have made 
or that they've had to make, maybe those haven't felt like true choices, those have been affected. But in addition, women are experiencing more emotional turmoil, more issues with mental health, actually more issues with um, drinking or substance abuse, more issues with literally blood pressure and um, cardiovascular health. And so it's not just the life style and kind of the way that women are spending their time, but it's also the effects of that as well. Sure. Tracy, I've heard you use the term time poverty. Can you explain what this is and how it impacts our well-being? Yeah, time poverty is so interesting. Time poverty is our perception of how much time we have available. It's the reality and the perception of how much time we have available. Time poverty is that kind of reality that lots of us face. I've got too many things to do and too little time to do it. And a lot of times mental health is so affected by how stressed out we feel. Like I think this concept of demand and capacity are so helpful. Like demand will ebb and flow over our life course. When we have, you know, small children at home, we might feel more pressed than when we're empty nesters, for example. So life stage can make a difference in demand or demand can go up and down in our jobs. Like we're working on a big project or we're, you know, we've got a heavy deadline. And our capacity is our sense of how much time we have and how much we can get done. And that also ebbs and flows. If we feel really stressed, we might feel like we've got less capacity to deal with it. Or if we've got more choice at work or more autonomy, we might perceive that we have capacity to deal with something. So I think that time poverty is partly reality and it's partly mindset based on the circumstances that we're facing. It's so interesting. And everybody probably is is so across the board with how they handle that as well. Do you have any tips on how caregivers can better take care of their own physical, mental, and social well-being? Yeah. And actually one of those pertains to that last question we were talking about. There's something really, really cool in data that the more you give your time, the more you perceive you have more time. It's so counterintuitive, but like if you volunteer your time, if you contribute your time and your talents to the community, that tends to pay you back in terms of your emotional sense of having more time. It makes no sense when you do the accounting or you look at the clock, but it's actually something that is meaningful. Like when you give away more time, you perceive that you have more time. So sometimes... When you feel really pressed, spending time doing volunteer work or volunteering in the soup kitchen or volunteering at the daycare center or taking, you know, stew to your neighbor can be really good things. So that's kind of cool. But in addition, as we think about how caregivers can take care of themselves, one of the things I think we don't often think about is like the alignment of the type of care that we're doing. So if I love to sew, maybe I could be helping with mending tasks at the local nursing home. Or if I love, um, I don't know, reading and books, maybe I could, you know, be in my child's classroom or virtually reading stories to preschoolers or something like that, or helping with literacy. If I adore the process of just 
keeping a home, I might be in a really good position to be a caregiver in home for somebody and, you know, help with just the logistics of like the stuff that has to happen in the home environment. My point is that that alignment of our interests and what we're giving away is a big deal. And I think part of what goes along with that is when caregivers can create a cadre of people around a need. So, you know, like I love to sew and you love to read. And so together we're going to read, read books to this elderly couple that needs help. And I'm going to do the mending. You're going to, you know, provide reading distraction and quality of life. Right. So that cadre of people can be helpful. And I think too, as much as possible, setting boundaries, I think sometimes caregiving can go from, gosh, I'm going to spend an hour. And then all of a sudden I was there two hours, or I was going to spend a couple of hours and I ended up spending the whole day managing those boundaries is another really good idea. And then I think the other thing that can be helpful in terms of caregiving, um, And the way that we take care of ourselves is social time, like time away from the caregiving environment. It can become so all-encompassing that if I can just even have a virtual coffee with a friend or an actual coffee with a friend or a walk in the park with a friend, it doesn't have to be long or involved or put more pressure on because now I got to do that too. But just that social time and that time away can be helpful. Those were great tips and examples. Often we think of caregiving as exacting a toll. So it's creating stress, burnout, distractions. In the workplace in particular, it can mean a reduction in productivity. Can you share if there are any workplace positives that can come from caregiving? Oh, I think the list is so long. I really do. Like, I think one of the things we can do in the workplace is to recognize people who are providing care. Usually, you know when they are, right? And I'm not talking about like you're going to pull them on stage and give them a, an award or a sticker or some crazy thing. But, you know, like as a leader, or as a coworker, I can give recognition and say, gosh, I really recognize and appreciate what you're doing in the community, or I see and I am attentive to the situation that you're in and really appreciate the time that you spend doing that. That empathy is huge. And I think the other thing that we can do is really identify the skills like empathy and compassion are so important in a positive organizational culture. And there's a development of empathy and compassion that happens through caregiving. I think the other thing that is really great about caregiving is it gives you perspective. Like we're all better at any one thing when we recognize a broader perspective around us. Work is part of life. Work is part of a full life. And as we expand our perspective to our communities, we can be even better in the workplace. I think too, caregiving can develop our skills around problem solving, around senses of urgency, around follow-up and follow-through, around organization. You know, like sometimes caregiving includes helping people get their meds at the right time. Well, you know, that's, that's project management in some ways. So I think that it does exact a toll and it gives us the opportunity to develop ourselves in so many ways. And all of those have application to the workplace. That was kind of an aha moment for me when I was listening to your session at mental health. Like you don't think of the positive and there's so many, it's, it's awesome to hear that. So then knowing this, how can employers help employees with caregiving responsibilities? Um, What kind of benefits and support can they provide? And then how can employers help employee caregivers kind of from that self-care perspective? 
Yeah, I love this question. This is so important. I think this is back to that idea of demand and capacity, right? So one of the things that employers can do is give people as much as possible choice and control over their work, over when they work, over where they work. That's not always possible with all organizations, with all jobs. But in general, when you give people more choices, that tends to contribute to their sense of capacity. Like, okay, I can get this caregiving thing done because I can leave work early in order to do that and then turn back on later, right? You've given me that choice or that flexibility. And that helps. I think the other thing that choice and flexibility do really is give people a reduced sense of demand. Like if I have to be in the office every day from eight to five, or if I have to be online, you know, doing video meetings every day from eight to five, that feels like a lot of demand. But if there's a little bit more of an ebb and flow and more choice, that makes a difference. There's a really cool study that the more people have autonomy and decision-making capability at work, the greater their satisfaction with their life outside of work. Like there's that spillover effect. So a big thing that employers can do is give more choice flexibility as much as possible. Another thing that employers can do is give predictability around schedule. Like one of the things that we know sociologically is that it's really hard if I'm trying to juggle a lot of parts of my life, if I don't know what my schedule is going to be next week or the week after that, if I'm not in control of it. So like if I'm at a waitressing job, for example, it's really helpful to know my schedule a few weeks out so I can plan for the way that I'll care for others and the way that they'll get care when I'm working. So predictability is a big deal too. And then I think there are some really lovely things that employers can do in terms of providing supports. So like there are apps that employers can provide access to that give, I don't know, emergency child care or backup care. Apps for online counseling services that make it a whole lot easier to go get counseling when you're trying to juggle that with the rest of your work. Employers who are establishing employee affinity groups, right? Like there are some employers who are doing like dementia support groups. Like if I'm caring for a loved one who has dementia and I can get together with other employees on my lunch hour once a month, that's huge. Or if I'm a you know mom or a dad to young children and I can get together with other moms and dads of young children on my you know 15 minute break in the in the afternoon, that just gives me a certain level of support and connection and kind of that human shared experience goes a really, really long way. And the last thing I'll say is that I think place has a role to play as well. Like when we come to work, for those people who are back in the office, I know what we all we all aren't, but someday maybe we'll spend more time in an office again. It can actually be time away from our stressors at home. And so when those offices are rejuvenating or inspiring or give us the opportunity to connect with others, and when those offices are well-equipped so we can just get our work done really effectively, when we're in that part of life where we're doing a lot of caregiving, we want to come to the office or work in our home offices and just get as much done as we can during our working hours so we can zoom to our daycare dash or we can zoom to take care of our elderly loved one. Um, so I think that efficiency and that enabling really good work is a big deal that we don't think a lot about consciously. Yep. Those are great examples, Tracy. So if an organization is looking to develop a caregiving benefit or a policy, is it important that a caregiving benefit or policy be equitable? And if yes, how can employers develop one? 
Oh my gosh, this is like so important. There was this very, very cool study that was done across 60 societies, six zero societies, and they were developed, developing, and more nascent and found that a fundamental human need is fairness. Like we crave fairness and fairness is actually in another study, the finding was that if people don't perceive a sense of equity, that's a major reason they'll leave an employer. So it's critical that we develop policies and practices that are fair, period, and that are perceived as fair. And so I think the really big deal is when we're developing those, we want to get input from people and understand what's highest priority for them. I think we want to understand the work so that the work can still be supported with policies and practices that support people. I think the data is really important, like understanding our market in terms of attraction and retention, understanding how many of our employees have certain issues that they're facing so we can provide the right packages or policies or practices that support the right number of people, right? Like if you've got lots and lots of, I don't know, like, younger people who might be in a life stage where they've got small children, you might want to put more of an emphasis on the kinds of policies or practices that would support that kind of a life stage or that kind of a reality. And then I think the other thing from a fairness perspective is making sure that we're taking a principle level approach. Like what are the principles that will drive the decisions that we make? And then being super transparent about when we've applied those, why have we applied those principles in the way that we have? Not violating privacy laws, of course, or privacy um, values, but giving people as much transparency as possible so they can understand how the policies will affect them and make their own choices. Just wanted to mention that the 67th Annual Employee Benefits Conference is coming up October 17th through the 20th. That's just around the corner. It is a packed agenda already. There are tons of fabulous sessions to choose from, and they're covering the latest industry trends and solutions to issues facing you and your plan. There is truly something out there for everyone. Whether it's in person in Denver, Colorado, or virtually, we hope to see you there. To learn more or register, visit ifevp.org slash US annual. We've discussed on this podcast before the importance of leadership support for well-being initiatives. So that that top-down approach. How can leaders be made aware of the importance of their support in the area of caregiving and how can they show their support? Yeah, this is huge. I think this is such a moment for leadership. Like as work has changed, as work experiences have changed so much, leaders have got to be able to lead by example, and they've got to be able to lead based on outcomes and objectives. And so I think a big part of leadership is training and developing leaders to lead from a distance, to be perceived as present and accessible, even if we're not together physically, to be able to have the leadership skill of connecting team members with each other, because the more we have that sense of community among us, the more we will all be supported in whatever activities we're doing, caregiving included. I think the other thing that we can develop leaders toward and reinforce in leaders is the extent to which they should demonstrate empathy. Like there was a beautiful study about when leaders were perceived as being more empathetic, employees reported better mental health. Like they literally 
wanted people who were attending, who were paying attention. And I think we can coach leaders to check in with people. Like I think leaders a lot of times are like, I don't want to ask the wrong question. I don't want to be intrusive. But leaders can check in without checking up. Leaders can ask questions and then take cues from people about how much they want to share. I think we can reassure leaders that they don't have to be mental health or counseling experts. They can ask questions and then connect people with resources. So leaders need to be armed with real knowledge of what resources are available for people and what resources the organization offers. But leaders have such a critical role to play in terms of um, helping people to feel supported, and then helping them to align the kind of work that they're doing and the choices that are available to them in that work. Awesome. And then just wrapping things up, are there any other issues or insights on caregiving that you'd like to share? The only thing I would say in addition is just how precious caregiving is in our communities. Like there's been so much popular press about caregiving and how it's hard on the caregivers and it's stressful on caregivers. And some of the brand new research is that it's actually less stressful than we might have previously thought. And there are some wonderful paybacks where you feel like you're contributing to your community. You're expressing your talents. You're expressing caring and compassion and empathy. And that helps a community be more resilient. I think we need to be absolutely validating and recognizing and appreciative of how hard caregiving can be and to reinforce for ourselves how special it is that we care for each other as a community. Like, it's cool to be part of a community. It's awesome to have obligations to each other. It's really important that we feel like we're knitted into our communities. And so I think this feeling of belonging and feeling of community that some of us have lacked over time can actually come out through the caregiving experience. So I think uh, we can look for kind of an optimistic day in terms of the effect of caregiving. Yeah, such a fresh perspective and positive way of looking at this. Absolutely. Well, that will end this month's episode. So thank you again for joining us, Tracy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This was very valuable insight on a topic that's impacting many of us. So we we definitely appreciate it. We would also like to give a shout out to Andy C. He's our audiovisual technician at the foundation, and he stepped in to produce this podcast for a few months while one of our team members was on leave. Thank you, Andy, for ensuring that our listeners get their monthly episodes. And of course, thanks for making us sound good. On behalf of my co-hosts, Julie Stick and Justin Held, thank you all for listening. Talking Benefits will be back in your podcast feeds next month. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to the show in your podcast app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Talking Benefits is a production of the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, the largest educational association for those working in the benefits industry. If you're into benefits, check out all the International Foundation has to offer at ifvbp.org. Our show is hosted by Julie Stick, Justin Held, and me, Ann Patterson. Produced by Rose Pleva and Stacey Van Alstyne and edited by Amanda Gilsmer. Today's program is copyrighted in 2021 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, all rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel. 